Good morning. Add my words of welcome to you uh, on this Confirmation Sunday. Um, I'm Reverend Kurt Stone, and uh, my primary job at this church is to serve the students, the 6th through the 12th graders. So it's a privilege to, uh, to be here this morning, and uh, I want to thank uh, Steve and Tammy Krabbel and Zach Krabbel and Tori Roderick for their work with me in uh, leading Confirmation, and for um, David Rail, who's taking pictures today, and Lauren Fear, and um, two or three others in the kitchen that helped with our uh, breakfast this morning. Let's uh, pause for a word of prayer. Oh God, be with us in these moments as we meditate and reflect upon the scriptures. May we hear in them a word of truth and a word that will impact the way that we live each day. Bless us with that, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. One of my coworkers is uh, Greek Orthodox. One of my coworkers at Boeing, uh, not here. And today is when uh, she and her family are celebrating Easter uh, in the Greek Orthodox Church. Today is Easter. And I thought about Jessica when I was at Walgreens this past week and noticed all the Easter candy was 50% off. And I thought, man, what a deal for her kids. <laughs> Have you ever noticed how quickly the seasonal aisles get flipped from one holiday to the next? Seemingly overnight during a third shift, the items on the shelves change from Halloween to Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving to Christmas and Christmas to Valentine's Day and Valentine's Day to St. Patrick's Day and St. Patrick's Day to Easter and Easter to Mother's Day. You're on it. You're on it. Well, on this second Sunday of Easter, Easter is already a distant memory in the fast-paced secular world that we live in. It's been a week, but the world has moved on. The stores are promoting Mother's Day, and society's attention turns elsewhere. In the opening verses of 1 John that Andy read for us, this letter to a congregation of the early church conveys the Easter news. And for that early community, the good news is actually new news. The resurrection is a fairly recent event. They are still giddy with surprise and joy. The intensity of the writing expresses the newness of the resurrection. There is knowledge and experience of so many senses. Their eyes have seen it. Their ears have heard it. Their hands have touched it. The tomb is empty and Christ is risen. Easter promises us and the readers of John's first letter the possibility of new life. New life in Christ. But what should this life look like? How do we go on? For the confirmation students, you've been on this, walking on this journey of confirmation since last September. You've been meeting together on Sunday nights. You've been on two retreats. You've spent a lot of time together. Um, how do you go on from this Sunday? How do you go on now that confirmation is over? John proclaims, we declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The fellowship that John references is the intimate relationship between uh, God the Father and God the Son, between the Father and Jesus Christ. That fellowship is the source and the example of our fellowship with God and with one another. 
This fellowship in the Greek is, uh, the, the term is koinonia. It means fellowship. It means communion. It means participation. It means partnership. And this fellowship is both vertical and horizontal. It's speaking about the relationship that we have with God and the fellowship we have with God and this participation or partnership we have with each other. John also declares that what was from the beginning, this word of life, it was in the beginning. And in the gospel of his, it opens with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Confirmation Sunday is centrally focused on baptism. Students are uh, being baptized today. One is being baptized and all 17 are being confirmed. And they're confirming the vows that were made, uh, most of them by their parents, at their baptism. It's been said that in baptism we become part of a people, the tribe of the baptized. When we read and remember the baptism of Jesus, we are a people who believe that when the heavens open up in the beginning of Mark's gospel or Matthew's gospel, that God is doing something new in Jesus' baptism. God already split the waters of the Red Sea with Moses and the Jordan River with Joshua, Elijah, and Elisha. But the splitting the heavens, God is going back even earlier to the beginning, to the beginning when the earth was separated into day and night, form and void, heavens punching out into firmaments above and the sea below, back to that originality and laying claim to Jesus within that, within that work in the beginning. In the sacrament of holy baptism, that same elemental water touches us and touches these confirmation students and indicates and initiates us into the people who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Like the first disciples and the early church, we are called to the practice of going on, <clears throat> going on as the baptized, going on as Easter people, going on as the church of the risen Christ. We have this fellowship. We have this participation in this journey with Jesus. Our mission statement here at the church is going on a journey with Jesus, and we invite every one of you to connect, to connect with God and others, to grow in journey groups through reading and studying and having conversations about matters of life and faith. We call on each of you to serve, to identify and to use your gifts in the life of Troy United Methodist Church, and to share your faith through service and concern for the world beyond the walls of this building. Confirmation students, we uh, call you to the same task. The same invitation to be on a journey with Jesus, to connect with one another. That's what that fall retreat was all about overnight at the Dubois Center. It was about recreation, but it was about connecting with one another so that you would know each other's names <laughs> and know what schools each of you attend and to get to know each, each other and to grow to grow through reading and through the Sunday night instructional sessions that we had, and I know, and through the journaling, right, through the writing and the journaling that we did. That's about growing. It's about uh, learning who you are and who God is, and about serving. We put you to work this morning, right, in the processional and bringing in the, the elements for baptism and communion and 
the, the, uh, the Bible and the cross and bringing, bringing the light of Christ into the worship space. And sharing your faith. You worked at Joe's Mall on a Saturday a few weeks ago and cleared out all the winter clothes and hung up all the clothes that we took on the church bus down there. And on Wednesday nights, the students have contributed $276 that will go to the Jesus SL Senior United Methodist Church down in Cobden. So we're teaching you, we're bringing you along, we're walking alongside you in this journey with Jesus. And all undergirded with worship, the central activity of Easter people, those baptized with water and in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It sounds easy, doesn't it? We're ready and willing to sign up for it now when the enthusiasm and the joy and the freshness of the good news about Jesus' resurrection and Easter is still in the air. <clears throat> All 17 of the confirmation students met in conferences with me and with Andy and their parents as their witnesses. Each student said with the sincerest conviction of a seventh grader, I'm ready and I'm able to participate in the ministries of this church through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. We studied that. We talked about it. <clears throat> but here's a dose of reality. Here's my concern. Here is a challenge for you seventh graders, you confirmation students. I, um, I read in, my, in the Sunday school class material that I teach uh, with adults out of the Christian Century Magazine, an article from the publisher. And I'm just going to read uh, a part of the article. This is what he says. <clears throat> a parishioner told me recently that her daughter's family had found the perfect church in Dallas. They don't go often, she said, because the church live streams its services. They can watch it anytime. If the kids are playing in the family room or mom and dad are busy pulling brunch together, they can have worship on in the background. It's really neat. Have you ever heard of this? <laughs> he says, yes, uh, I know all about live streaming. My eyes must have reflected a lack of interest because the conversation moved on to other topics. He says, Emily Dickinson opens one of her poems, Some Keep the Sabbath Going to Church, I Keep It Staying Home. He says, if you haven't noticed, there's a lot of staying home on Sundays in America these years. For the past couple of generations, researchers have noted that 40 to 45% 40 to of Americans claim regularly, uh, regular weekly worship attendance. But these days, I judge that figure to be more, realist, more realistically in the 10% range. One of the 10 lepers healed by Jesus, out of the 10, only one found it worth his time to turn back and express thanks. He says, I think that's the church. And this is the part that really bothered me. He said, I have decided that making Sabbath worship an integral part of one's life is highly inconvenient. For those who stay away from communal worship because Sunday is the day to arrange personal leisure, <coughs> take special care of oneself, or get the kids off to sports activities, making time for church is just plain inconvenient. He goes on to say a couple other things. Those who regularly avoid church often harbor misconceptions about religion and see it as an antique way of life. 
In our world of customized living, where a mobile device can effortlessly order, order up my preferences and bring most everything to my doorstep, church is simply inconvenient. Church pulls me away from my self-designed life and requires that I take some initiative in another world that has nothing in common with do whatever I please. He says, inconveniences can hold their own deep value, especially when they ask us to experience a larger life than the one we typically design around our own personal comfort. And then, um, like a good author, he invokes the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian and pastor who was martyred for his faith. <coughs> he says, it's impossible to have Jesus Christ apart from the church. We cannot know Christ apart from Christian community, that Christ is embedded in the church. So church is inconvenient. So students, I'm going to let you know that recently I looked at a confirmation photo that was just a few years old. There were 14 students in the picture. Two of the students have moved away. Five of the students in the picture are active in the life of the church, but seven of the students are inactive. I don't know where they're at. That's half of those 14 students. So if you take away the two students that moved and you take the five divided by the 12, that's about 42% that have gone through confirmation who... Um, who, who haven't darkened the doors maybe since they had their picture taken uh, with that confirmation class. So if we take the 42% of the 17 students today, that means that seven of you in about four or five years will still be active, and 10 of you, I won't know where you're at. And that's what bothers me, is that we might buy into the fact that church is just simply inconvenient. Well, my hope is that we would not surrender to self-giving or self-serving convenience, but surrender wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ. This practice of going on together is staying on the journey and staying on the path, even when it's not easy and even when it's not convenient. We might agree that church is inconvenient. It might be easier to not be here, but students and adults who are listening, I call you to remember your baptism and be thankful. You're in the tribe of the baptized. God calls you through life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to fellowship, to be in relationship with God and to be in participation and partnership with one another and to be an active part of the life of the church. You are invited to the practice of going on by staying on this journey with Jesus. Inconvenient, maybe, but worthwhile, meaningful, purposeful, and faithful. No doubt about it. It's the right path to be on. Confirmation students, hear me loud and clear, and I speak on behalf of the church. We want to see you regularly in worship with your parents. We want to see you on Wednesday nights at youth group. We want to see you on Sunday mornings in Sunday school class. We want to see you this summer on our Wednesday night outings and on our mission trips. We want you involved in the life of the church. Don't let the next time I see you 
be in about five years when I'm looking at the confirmation picture from 2018, and I wonder, I wonder what happened to him. I wonder what happened to her. Let us pray. <clears throat> oh God, on this Confirmation Sunday, we give you thanks for the lives and the faith of these 17 students. For other students that have been on this journey with Jesus and who have been baptized and confirmed their faith in years previous. We pray for them. We pray for their parents. We pray for their families. We give you thanks for the people that surround them with love and care, with faith and hope and love. For grandparents and aunts and uncles, for friends that have gathered around the breakfast table today who are sitting in the rows with these students. Oh God, use them as your witnesses to provide the care and the support and the encouragement that these students need to stay on the journey, to be faithful in their journey in following Christ. This is our prayer this day in the name of Christ. Amen. <clears throat>